I'm going to invite you uh, to turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one in the pew in front of you somewhere. Not the white book, but the blue book. Probably blue. Um, Grab one of those and turn there. Uh, This is our seventh week in this series now, unless I miscounted, which is always possible. Um, Seven. I don't know about you. It's been good for me personally. So set Pastor James aside, just James the man, um, which I am always anyway. But um, like it's been, this has been good for me uh, in my time preparing and studying, and then even afterwards, just dwelling on uh, the Ten Commandments. Uh, the two weeks that we spent in Luke 15 with the prodigal son and the parable of the prodigal son, just seeing God's unconditional grace and love through that parable, and then coming back and seeing the, the right response of us worshiping God and God alone, setting aside our idols, and in that, the process for me, just thinking about where idols exist in, in my life and in our lives. Even this morning in Sunday school, um, we were talking about that came back up in the discussion um, about the idols that we have in our lives. And, and just seeing all of those things begin to line up, the name of God that we talked about last week, um, and then the name of Jesus that we worship through. And so seeing then those three things connect together, Worship God alone. We don't worship through graven images or idols. And then um, beholding his name and not taking it vainly in a sense that we, we think about it, we speak it, we read about it or whatever it is without power, without reverence. And this has been good for, for my heart. Uh, and, and as I sit and think, um, I feel like I get to the point of not being able to hold any more in my mind like not being able to hold any more of understanding about how good God is or how big God is, or not being able to hold and kind of being overwhelmed by the understanding of how pervasive idols are in our culture, and the idea that I don't know that we can... It's hard for me to think about how we can stamp all of that out, like to remove all of that out of our lives, Um, thinking about the vast-reaching crevices of the name of Jesus and how it should affect us and me personally, individually. Like, I've sat over the course of weeks and tried to think about that, and I feel like I just get to the point of being, my mind being full uh, of not being able to, to take in more. And I think it's even the same as I, as we dive in this week into the fourth command and the Sabbath. In all of the places that this invades our life, in all of the places that I think we fall short of this, it's just overwhelming to think about and see for me individually, like how can I rightly enact what we're being called to do and enact? Um, And it's overwhelming to me. I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit in that. Um, 
it's just, I say that to say it's been, it's been good. And so if you don't feel similarly, I don't take that as an indictment on my preaching. My preaching is going to fall short regardless um, of what week we're in and what text we're in. But um, I would encourage you, if you don't feel overwhelmed by some of these things yet, spend some time this week setting aside specific more than just a couple of minutes time to sit and think about these things to think about god what idols where do we serve other things that are good things that we elevate to the level of ultimate things where do we fail to recognize the power and the reverence of your name spend some time thinking about that and thinking about all of the areas of your life that these things tap into um and, and ask, and my prayer is that you would be overwhelmed by God's word and God's goodness to the point of going, there's so much work, God, that left to do for me individually and for me as I interact with others. I'm going to need your power in me to do this and walk this out rightly. And then start to trust, as you get overwhelmed, start to trust in his power that he wants to lay on you and is given in you through faith in Jesus to carry these things out. As we step into the Sabbath now, um, and, and looking at this commandment, I watch, uh, I have watched from time to time, a show called um, Street Outlaws. If you're unfamiliar with, <laughs> I just got a thumbs up from Bruce and a big smile. If you're unfamiliar with this show, it's okay. Um, it's a show basically about drag racing, okay? Uh, and these guys, and it's, it's set, it's, a, it's on, I think it's on Discovery Channel, but I don't watch it on TV. Um, it's, ba- it's set in 405 area code. It's in the Oklahoma area. And I, I understand, I think that they raced maybe out for a while out by Seminole. I didn't realize that until recently, somewhere close. Um, that is not the point. The point is the guys on the show, they have a top 10 list of cars, the fastest cars in the area, right? And the goal of being on the list is to get to number one. I mean, that's, that's all our, the goal as Americans. We're told you got to be at the top. Whether that's right or not is another story. But you've got cars running 2,000 horsepower. And if that doesn't mean anything to you, uh, your average four-cylinder economy car is probably 150, okay-ish. Uh, your average truck nowadays, probably with a V8, maybe between 250 and 300, somewhere in there. Um, so 2,000, okay? 1,500 to 2,000. Most of the cars that are running on this list are not generally street legal. Like you can drive them on the street and they race on the street, but not legally. Uh, All of that to say, if you have a car like that, you need somewhere to run it. It doesn't do you any good just to let it sit in the garage. You don't invest all of the money and invest all of the time and build the machine just to let it sit. But because it's not street legal, 
even if you do drive it on the street, it's not a car that you drive to and from work every day or to run down the, to the corner and get pizza or anything like that. Most of these are running on racing fuel, which is not readily available down here at Jay Weezy's. Um, they need a place and an outlet to run these cars. I think the Sabbath, as we think through the first three commands, you worship God and God alone, and you do not worship him through idols, and you revere his name, and you don't take it in vain. You don't think about it without effect. You don't speak about it without effect. You don't read about him without effect. When we get to the Sabbath, I think it is that place then where we put those things into practice. It's the street that we take that drag car and we begin to run it down. I think that will make sense as we get into it. I hope. Exodus chapter 20. If not, then ignore it. Exodus chapter 20. Let's just start where we left off last week in verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Remember it to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your granddaughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days, because, here's why, in six days the Lord God made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. These are God's words to us, and I, I hope in the few minutes that we have, maybe we clear up a few misconceptions about the Sabbath day, and then we look at and we, we put some framework in place that we, even now, should walk in. So here's the first thing that I want you to see, that God hardwired the Sabbath into the rhythm of the universe. Here's what I mean by that. In our house, one of the things that we've hardwired into everyday life is this truth. Your choices have consequences. <laughs> yep. Yep. Your choices have consequences. Both, and this is one place we've fallen, both good consequences and bad consequences. Good choices lead to good consequences, and we have to work on that part. Bad choices lead to bad consequences, and this is something that we've woven in. We didn't sit our kids down for a lesson one day and say, okay, in the next 30 minutes, we're going to break this down for you, okay? It's just something we've woven into the rhythm of our everyday operation. When you make a choice, we're going to evaluate, and we're going to help you as coaches because we're on the same team in our house, right? All on the same team. That's recent. Um, we're going to help coach you up. And when you need to be brought back in line, we're, we're going to do that. And we're doing that not because we're trying to be heavy-handed, but we're trying to bring you up. It's the rhythms that we have at our home. In the same way, the Sabbath day is a rhythm that God has hardwired into the universe. It was present in the beginning of creation. It says, it uses that as an example right here. And remember, this is God speaking 
to the people in this text. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, rested on the seventh day. So here's what happened in creation, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1.1, right? And then as you move down the days of creation, by the time you get to the sixth day, and God has created everything, sun, moon, light, dark, day, night, plants, earth, water, not in this order, humans, animals, fish, birds, all of this, right? He steps back after the sixth day, and he says, it is very good. And on the seventh day, he rested. Okay, first question. Why didn't we just end with six days? And then you go forward, right? Creation is done. We look at it. It's very good. Boom. Okay, let's circle back around to the first day and continue on. Why the seventh day to rest? I think it's because God stepped back and he looked at what he had done And he said, this is good. And he enjoyed it. He rested from his work. He enjoyed and and looked on the handiwork of his hands. And he said, this is good. And in so doing, he made that day holy. Meaning he set that day apart as specific Holy. It is, it is a cut above the rest and a cut above, infinitely above the other days, the rest of the days. And he declared it before sin entered the world, before anything was corrupted, just as a normal part of perfect creation. He said, this is good. It's very good. Enjoy this with me and enjoy me and what I've done. It, and it's not, again, Just like when we talked about God being a jealous God, this is not God going, I know I have some flaws, but worship me as if I don't. That's not what's happening here. God is saying, I'm perfect, and what I made is perfect, and what I made is good, and I made it for your enjoyment. I made it for your joy. So take a minute to just soak it in and enjoy it with me, Adam. The seventh day, to the Lord, declared as holy. So when we get to this command, it says, it doesn't say, establish the Sabbath day and then keep it holy. Right? That's not what it said in your text? I'll just assume that the answer is yes. I didn't see any head nods. It said, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Because it wasn't a new thing that God had established right here in Exodus 20. It was a thing that's been established before. And even with the people of Israel, a specific thing that God brought about when he said, I'm going to give you manna and I'm going to provide for you day by day by day. So you, when you wake up in the morning, you go out and collect your food. They're in the wilderness. They don't have houses and refrigerators and all of that. They don't even have wagons to keep it in like the Oregon Trail. Um, go out and collect it. But on the sixth day of the week, make sure you collect enough for two days because the seventh day is a Sabbath day and I want you to rest. So you collect enough for those two days and that's it. So that on the seventh day, you can observe the Sabbath, right? And that is prior to Exodus 20, us getting here. 
It is something that God has already hardwired into the rhythm of the universe. And so it is good that we observe it. And here's the thing. So the Sabbath observance continues still. This makes sense, right? God started it at the very beginning. Even in Exodus 20, we see it's a continuous thing, and through the Old Testament it continues. So the question is, when I say that it continues still, are you and I, as followers of Jesus, assuming you are a follower of Jesus, and that's probably an assumption anyway, if you are a follower of Jesus, does it, is it still the bounds that we live in? Are we still required to observe the Sabbath and keep it holy? Now, if we had the means, I would love to be able to take a poll right now and see just what we said. Are we still required to serve it, to observe it? Or is this something that we've moved past in the Old Testament? I would argue, and I will argue, it is something that we are still bound by today. Now, whether or not we act in that is another question. But we're still bound by it today. And, and here's the first reason that I would say that. If you look at these Ten Commandments, okay, I would, I would argue wholeheartedly that the first commandment, you have no gods besides me, there's no way we're removed from that. Okay? I mean, Jesus upheld that. We uphold it still. No idols, don't worship me through graven images or other graven images. I think we're not past that, and we still need to set idols aside and worship God and God alone, not through material things, okay? I think when you line up the Ten Commandments, there are none of them that we are removed from. There are none of them that, that through Jesus and our faith in Him, He said, okay, set that one aside. Why? Because they reflect God's character. And we'll see that even as we get into coveting and murder and all of those things that are still to come. They reflect God's character as we abide by the Ten Commandments. God's character doesn't change. His person. And so the Ten Commandments are still binding on us because it is how, to steal the verse from this morning, we work out our faith with fear and trembling, knowing that it is God who wills and works within us. We work out our faith. We pursue Jesus in Christ's likeness and being like him as we follow these Ten Commandments. It is how we pursue godliness, God-likeness. We be like God. We observe these things. So, because God has not changed, his commandments have not changed, and our observance of them has not changed. And here's the second reason. I think it's still binding on us. Because Jesus didn't abolish it. He had multiple opportunities in his ministry to say, meh, you can set that one aside. That one's no longer important. And he addressed it specifically on a number of instances, and he said things like, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And we'll talk about how that plays out in a second. But, but the intent is that the Sabbath day was given for you and I for our benefit. It wasn't something that now man has created, so we're going to bring the Sabbath day along and lay it on top of him, right? And, and make his existence the intent towards the Sabbath. No, it was something that was given to us for our benefit, not for us to make much of the Sabbath day. 
It is not permissible. It, he says, ask the question, is it not permissible to do good on the Sabbath? So when he's accused of healing people and all of these things on the Sabbath, he doesn't go, hey, that doesn't matter. It's a, it's a moot point because the Sabbath is passing away, so I can heal on the Sabbath. No, he says, he argues why it's okay to keep the Sabbath and to heal on the Sabbath. Is it not permissible to do good on the Sabbath? He didn't abolish it. And then he says, and I think this is probably the most telling. He says he, Jesus, is Lord of the Sabbath. Have you, you remember that? Heard that? He's, so if he is Lord over the Sabbath, he is in charge of, he's the head honcho of the Sabbath. Then it's not passing away as we live to follow him. So it is binding for us today. Now, here's where we get into a pickle. Why then? What is today? Is today the seventh day of the week or the first day of the week? Ah. If you look at our calendar, right? It begins on, if we read right to left, right to left, Sunday, yes? So it's the first day of the week. Now, the way that I think that we think it feels like the seventh day because Monday is the first day of the week because everything centers around work and school, generally speaking, unless you're retired and then we're jealous of you. Um, Right, so you work five days, then you have Saturday and Sunday, and then you begin another week on Monday. But really, it's today, Sunday, is the first day of the week. So why then does it say rest six and on the seventh day observe the Sabbath? So why don't we gather yesterday on Saturday? Because we're not Seventh-day Adventists. So why the change then if all of the history of the Old Testament in Israel was on the seventh day of the week, the end of the calendar week, this Saturday, observe the Sabbath? Ah, this is a good question. Here's why. What day did Jesus rise from the dead? The, if you look in the Gospels, the ladies went to the tomb the day after the Sabbath. They didn't go to the tomb to anoint him with spices on the Sabbath day because they were resting as they were supposed to and observing the Sabbath. They go to the tomb on the day after the Sabbath, the first day of the week today, Sunday, Easter Sunday. And what do they find? An empty tomb because the Lord of the Sabbath rose from the dead on the first day of the week. And so, because that is the central and pivotal truth of our faith, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then what are we doing? If Jesus died on the cross and stayed in the grave, Paul would say, 1 Corinthians 15, you and I are silly for being here this morning. Because there's nothing that separates him from any of us. He's just another man that was crucified on a cross under Roman rule and stayed in the grave. He's not God of the universe. But if he rose from the dead, we have every reason to be here this morning and to trust him as Lord and to follow after him. So it is the pivotal truth, the pivotal event of our faith, of Christianity. And so we celebrate when? On the Lord's day, on the day that he rose from the dead, and that began in Acts in the early church, and it continued. Now, you'll see like in Acts chapter 2, I think also in Acts chapter 4, that they would gather together in the temple daily. 
okay? But the day when they celebrated, like we do this morning, was on the Lord's Day. It was on the first day of the week, on Sunday. And so that was the transition from Saturday to Sunday because we are under the reign of Christ and we are followers of Jesus. We celebrate as the Sabbath on Sunday. So that Sabbath observance continues still. So what is it? And here's where we have to follow Jesus very closely. We have to check our religious acts at the door on the Sabbath day. Meaning, when we observe the Sabbath day, we don't do so based on religious acts. And here's what that means. When Jesus is here observing, uh, teaching, ministering, and he came to lay down his life, to rise from the dead, to save us, the people that he found himself opposing and that opposed him very often are the Pharisees. The Pharisees have very strict and specific rules for the Sabbath day. Like, like because later on in the Old Testament, it says that you remain at your house in the Sabbath day and you don't journey too far from your house. So they would say, if you took some food on, Saturday, or on Friday excuse me, and you took it out to a central place in town, like that moved your dwelling place, it extended your dwelling place because your food is there and you have to go to get the food, and so you could walk further from your home on the Sabbath day and still not break the rule. And they came up with all of these additional things trying to keep the law but, but bend it and make it what they wanted it to be, and, and you couldn't, you know, like Jesus used the example, what if what if your sheep, fall, a lamb, falls down in the well on the Sabbath day? Are you allowed to rescue it? Because you're going to do some work to get that thing up out of a well, right? Work. You're going to extend some effort. You're going to get some ropes. You're going to get a couple guys. You guys are going to sweat. You're going to, hopefully not, use language that you shouldn't use when you, the rope slips and it falls again. You got, I mean, but, right, you, you get some, anyway, Right, you're going to do some work. Are you allowed to do that on the Sabbath if you're supposed to be resting from your work? Well, the Pharisees would say, no. Like, what if you're Jesus and you have the power to heal and you run into a guy whose hand has been withered from birth and deformed and unusable? Are you allowed to heal that hand on the Sabbath day? Well, no, because that's work. <laughs> Mind you, it's not work that anybody else can do. It's only the God of the universe that can do it, but that's beside the point. Right? So they had all of these rules and regulations, and that's why Jesus said, listen, are we to say that man was created so that we could observe the Sabbath day? Like that's the pinnacle of our purpose in life? No. He said the Sabbath was created for us to enjoy, for us to live under. So we don't need all of these rules and regulations. Listen, you've made it something that it's not by putting all of these rules over it, and they thought they were very religious people the Pharisees. And Jesus was saying, listen, you're out of bounds. You have gone far away from what the Lord intended it to be. What did the Lord intend it to be? And here, I think, is something that is easy to miss. Look at verse 10 in Exodus chapter 20. But, so six days you work and you labor. Seventh day, verse 10, but the seventh day is a Sabbath, is a rest day, okay? And we all, we all love the idea of 
resting on Sunday. And I've said it in here before, I think, I love to go home and take a nap on Sunday if we can. I don't always do it, but I love to. The seventh day is a Sabbath. What? A Sabbath rest to the Lord your God. The Sabbath day, the purpose of resting, the purpose of working six days and then taking a day to rest is so that we devote a day to the Lord. So we devote a day to observe everything that He's given us. So James, are you saying then that we don't have to do that on the other six days that we work? So that we worship one day on the Sabbath day, whatever day we choose to observe it, but on the other six days we're free and clear. Is worship just a Sunday thing? David has a shirt like this-ish right? It kind of. It's the idea. Is worship just a Sunday thing? No, worship is an all sort of the week thing, but there is a specific way that we set aside work and the normal routines of our lives to come and specifically observe a day devoted to the Lord. So does that mean that by coming into this room for an hour on Sunday, we fulfilled our obligations to observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy. I guess it depends on what you do with the rest of your day. And I think that if we're not careful, if we think, well, we came to church on Sunday, so we did our Sabbath routine, and we checked the box off of our list, and we're good. I think if that's our mindset, we're too close to the Pharisees that would say you've got to count your steps on that day and make sure you're not walking too far. If you want to venture out from your home, go and the day before put some food out in a central place so that you can go there and you can eat and extend your dwelling place. If all we're doing is say, okay, we need to show up at church on Sunday, we'll sit in the pew, we'll sing the songs that we're supposed to sing, we'll pray when we're supposed to pray, we'll listen Maybe if the sermon isn't too boring, and, and then we'll leave, and we got our check, box checked off, we observed the Sabbath, we did what we're supposed to do, I think we're too close to the Pharisees. If we think, I'll just make it when I can make it. I'll make it when it's convenient. I'll make it when I feel like it. I'll gather together with the people when I don't have other better things going on. Are we keeping the Sabbath day holy as we are told to? This is not, I'm not saying in that, make sure you show up at the building or somebody's going to look down on you because you're not in church on Sunday. Because it's not about checking the box off. The question is, are we willing to set aside one day out of our week to devote to the Lord? To worship Him because of who He is and what He's done. Not to show up in a building with other people that are similarly minded to us and check the box off of our list. But to say, listen, I've had six other days to do what I want to do, to work, to do the things I need to do, and I've got a whole day that I need to remind myself and sit in and stew in the presence of God with 
people that are like-minded worshiping Him. And not just for the hour or two that we are in this building, but for the day. So what does that look like outside of this building? i got to be honest. I think this is one of the places that we fall short. Because for so long we've said, if I just show up to church, I've observed the Sabbath, I've done what I'm supposed to do, and we go home and we go about the rest of our day. We work on our house projects that we didn't get to during the week because we were working all week, or we just take a nap, or we watch the shows that we didn't get to watch throughout the week because we were doing other things. Like, it's just our day to rest. Yes, it's your day to rest, though, to be devoted to the Lord. It is a Sabbath to the Lord, and so the extent to which our observing the Sabbath, our gathering together corporately to worship is not to reflect Him and to show Him and revere Him and to take in His name and to be affected by His Spirit and His power. The extent to which we make the Sabbath about something other than that is the extent to which we fail to keep it holy. God declared it as holy, as set apart, as a cut above the other seven days. What are we doing with it? Is it just another day for us to relax from the things that we have done through the rest of the week? Is it a day for us to check a box off because we showed up in a building? Listen, these bricks and mortar are no different than the bricks and mortar that might or might not be at your house. This carpet, probably a little bit shorter than your carpet if you have carpet. That the purpose of gathering in this brick and mortar with this carpet is so that we observe the Lord and we remember the Lord and who He is and what He's done and then we go to continue that in this day and we devote a day to the Lord so we get back to tomorrow and we continue in what is good and right in working and we do so as worship to the Lord on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and so on. Are we... Sabbathing? Are we resting to the Lord like we're supposed to? If I'm honest with you, I'm not. I've, this has escaped me for a long time, and I, I, I've felt it, but I couldn't quite put my finger on it. It's more than just showing up here. Because here's the deal, and here's the, all of what this is pointing us to. The icing on the cake. Hebrews, I believe it's chapter 4, says there will be a day where we enter into God's rest for eternity. There will be a day when we sit at His feet and worship and we don't think about or wonder about or pursue what else I have to do and how I have to show up and the other boxes that are on my list that I need to check off and I need to send this email and I need to call this person and I need to sit down at the computer and do these things because my job requires it. We will not work anymore. We will not work and labor to worship because we sit at His feet and worship and us taking a day out of seven to sit and worship and be devoted to the Lord because of who He is and what He's done is a reminder week 
by week that there is coming a day where this will be our eternity, where we will be gathered together as the people of God through faith in Jesus, made whole by his sacrifice on the cross and resurrection from the dead, and we will worship at the feet of the Lord for eternity, and we will rest in him and disregard everything else. And so it is a day set aside for us, for our joy to get to enjoy Him, to be reminded of what's coming, to keep things in perspective. You will not get further ahead if you work for one more day for a week. Do we trust God enough that if we totally lay everything else aside for a week, that He will help us get everything else done in the other six days? Do, do we trust him that much? Or do we need, think that we need that extra day to make things happen for ourselves? It all comes down to where does your trust lie? And who and what are you worshiping? May we, out of everyone else who say, if you say, if your confession is, I trust the Lord Jesus as my Savior and I am following him, May we be people who illustrate that God is big enough and vast enough and majestic enough and sovereign enough for us to set aside a day to observe him and be devoted to him. Not only because he deserves it, but because it's good for us to do so. May we model that and model God's worship in that. Let's pray. Father, God, I'm reminded, even in this command, something that we could see as boring and mundane and tedious, that when we approach you in it, the way that you have laid out for us to, and we set aside a specific day to sit at your feet and observe what you've done, to be reminded of how good you are, to beg you to make your name famous on earth, to seek your will in our lives like it is done in heaven and on and on. God, it is good for our souls. It is good for our lives. It helps us to keep things in perspective and put things in order. But most of all, it helps us to live out the worship that we are commanded that your name and your fame deserves. So God, for our benefit, would you remind us of the places that we fall short of this? Would you enable us where we are not able in and of ourselves to be disciplined enough to carry this out? Will you enable us to do so? God, may we trust you to set aside the things that we need to set aside, to walk in the things that we need to walk in. God, to model the importance of being devoted to you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. As I conclude, I'm reminded that having a day set aside to be devoted to the Lord, it is more than showing up in this building. 
But from time to time, it doesn't just have to happen in this building. So like in your rhythm of life, if you need to get away and go on vacation with your family, like you do that and don't show up in here, but observe a day set aside as worship to the Lord in that process. Are, are, you, are you with me on that? That I think it's important for us to gather together as the body of Christ and then more. But observing the Sabbath is more than just showing up here as well. And I don't think it's less than that. But it, it is more than that as well.